morning, good morning, good morning. We have some folks traveling, and some folks still on the way, so we're praying that the Lord will be with all of them, and also be with us as we try to give the Lord glory in this place today. And we're going to learn a little bit from God's Word, and have a little fun. Uh, just kind of two reminders real quick, uh, that one of you see up there on the screen, actually you see both of them up there on the screen. So this evening at 5 o'clock at Pearson Park, near the tennis court there, uh, so when you go through the park, it'll be on the left-hand side, playground, tennis courts. And I think now you pull in the first driveway, I think it's the way they do it, but it's the second they reverse it. It's the second one? They changed okay, it. They the changed second. it. Reverse it. You pull in the second driveway and then loop back around. That's how they do it now. And uh, so we'll be there for a cookout and play some games together and just have a little bit of fun. And that starts at 5 o'clock. And so can't all show up right at 5. We walk to get there a little bit early and help set up and that kind of thing. And um, 5 o'clock at the cookout at Pearson Park. And then... Next week, not this week, but the following week starts Vacation Bible School. It is literally right in our face. It came up fast after our last event. And so we got people are scrambling to be ready for that. And it will be, I hope we get this right, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday. That's how we did it. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then we'll be here on Sunday morning, just like normal. And then Monday, Tuesday. And that's all the evenings. And it runs from 6.30 to 8.30. It's two hours every night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Of course, we have Bible study on Tuesday, so it'll literally be Bible study Tuesday, VBS Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday morning church, VBS Monday, Tuesday. That's what the week is going to be like. We're going to be on mission for Jesus and learning and living together, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So, uh, dinner. I need helpers for all of the classes, and I have not done any scheduling for dinner yet. Okay, so we need dinner if you're willing to help make dinner, and we need volunteers to help in the classes yet. Um, so most of us, I think, uh, actually, preschool, nursery actually has a helper, right? So we theoretically have a helper in there, but otherwise every class needs a helper, and uh, and then dinner is at 6, so you can come and eat at 6, but if you're going to come eat at 6, you might want to come at a quarter to 6 and help out with dinner, and let you at least know in advance you're going to do that, so that we have the manpower to do what we got to do, and obviously we'll get these announcements out to those who couldn't be with us today, because they're out of town, that kind of thing, so we'll try to make sure everybody's in the loop, Okay. All right, um, so remember that. And then the last announcement, which is not in the bulletin, not on the radar, is our spiritual discipline. So as of May 22nd, we do one spiritual discipline as an emphasis for six months. And so as of last Sunday, we needed a new spiritual discipline to emphasize for six months, and it is going to be prayer. Okay. So for the next six months, we're going to be talking a lot about prayer, different kinds of prayer, uh, the benefits of prayer, that kind of thing. We'll do an inspirational moment. We'll do it in the classrooms and lessons on Tuesday nights. Uh, we're, we're in the review of our 30 disciplines. Prayer was in there. We'll hit it. it should be, we haven't already, we're going to hit it very soon. And then uh, we're starting in just the next couple of weeks, the Baptist Faith and Message Bible Study, which is a book-based Bible study on the Baptist Faith and Message, which is what I think is probably the best doctrinal statement that has ever been written under the sun. Outside the Bible. The Bible is the best, right? But outside that, that's a good summary of what the Bible says about various doctrines. So we'll be doing that on Tuesday nights. And we have about 15 books, so we hope to people come and get a book and plug in and, and do that Bible study with us, and we're going to be promoting that. And then remember I told you last week that there is a gift coming for the church, and it'll be next Sunday. So next Sunday we'll hear about that gift, and you'll, it's something that you will get, and you'll be able to take it home with you, and it will be for... Uh, just about all ages to benefit from. So it'll be kind of an exciting thing, and we'll take a few minutes to look at it together as a group and then get to see what that's all about and what we can do with it, okay? 
And so that's coming next Sunday, which that, that's the Sunday right before VBS. So that's a good way to do that. So it'll be the Sunday right before VBS. And then we'll start Tuesday night Bible study, Wednesday night VBS, and right on into it. And then around the corner, down the bend a little bit, and not too far, is the Freedom Celebration on Main Street. And so we'll be doing that block party opposite the 4th of July, and that always takes some labor. we got to make sure we have plenty of manpower. If you're willing to sit in a dunking tank, uh, <laughs> volunteer early. Uh, so we get that list formed. And, um, and then we're going to need everybody to serve food, and we're going to promote that out of it. We did have a good showing last year. But if this block party that we just did on our lot was in the indicator, yeah. my guess is the block party that's going to be on Main Street this year is going to be even bigger than it was. Now, last year we had a couple hundred people show up over there. We had about 350 people here on Sunday, yeah. last Sunday. And we did have a lot of folks who were asking questions about coming to church. A lot of folks were asking about, so uh, there's a lot of that going on. So I expect us, we're going to see some decisions, we're going to see some growth. It's, it's pretty cool time to be serving Jesus. And a lot of folks are looking toward new heights. We also, we've also had a bunch of people following us from literally all over the world, following us on Facebook or following us, uh, downloading our app. So that's kind of weird, but kind of exciting at the same time. We have people looking in our direction from all over the world, even though it's for this little teen church. Um, so you are a city on a hill. Stand firm. Serve the Lord. All right. So in honor of our spiritual discipline uh, of prayer, I'm going to open us in prayer this morning. As I do so, I will say a part of my prayer is an adoration to God, a part of my prayer is a confession to God, a part of my prayer is a thanks to God, and a part of my prayer asking God for some thanks. All right, so let's pray together. Hey, King. Real quick. Real quick. I have a prayer request. Um, my niece, Erwin, yeah, is asking some really touchy questions because, you know, her dad, her biological dad, shot himself. Right. And she's asking my sister questions about whether it's her fault or not. Okay. So she's pray for Erlyn as she's processing the death of her dad and the bad situation. All right. Father in heaven, we adore you. You are amazing. We ought to have our hands up, our voices up. We ought to have our butts up. We ought to have. Lord, just look into you in all things because you are an awesome God. We were talking this morning, we're driving the van back in Philip Park. Uh, Maddie and Maya and I were talking about migraines and how the body is complex and sometimes there's some things wrong with the human body and we don't know exactly what causes it. They, the doctors can't even figure it out and so they give it a name and they'll say, well, that's, that's migraines or that's IBS or that's fibromyalgia or whatever. And, that, and what that really means is they don't know because God, they are not you. No one is you. You alone are the creator God. You alone were present when there was not even uh, an atom of matter and you brought it all into existence. You are an amazing, powerful God and we recognize you today to be sovereign over us, to protect us and guide us as we need it, to be living in us, for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to be providing for us daily, every bit of every bit of food, every penny that comes our way, every hour of every day, you created it, you made it possible, and we adore you for being that kind of generous, giving, loving God. Love, love, love. At the same time, Lord, we confess to you that we have, we've made a lot of mistakes. We made some decisions that, that didn't honor you. There were times when, and it may not be true of everybody, but there were times where, when we lied, when we took something that didn't belong to us, and we slacked off and stood around the corner rather than stepping into a situation where we really could have done something that could have made a difference. 
We didn't step up and witness and testify. My God is awesome. He can save your soul. Or we didn't ask, would you be willing to be saved? Would you be willing to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Or we, didn't, we said we would pray for somebody and we didn't. Just forgot. Lord, we are weak compared to you. We ask you for forgiveness and we know that it is available through Jesus Christ, your Son. It's been paid for. Past, present, future. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this place. We thank you for all the resources that you have provided. We thank you for your love and your care towards us. We thank you for our friends and family that have gathered here today to worship you. We pray that even as we are beginning to worship, we know church, many churches all over the world are, are finishing their worship and there are others who won't worship for hours and hours yet. We pray that this Lord's Day would be your day, that it would truly honor you. We thank you for the opportunity to do it, and we ask you, Lord, to inhabit the praises of your people, make us your good representatives, pillars of strength and truth, who would stand up and be what it is that we're supposed to be. Father, I ask you to be with little Zoe right now, just bump yourself. We pray for Arden's back and my back. We pray for all the folks who are suffering from allergies. It's been a lot this year. Pentecost has been so high. We pray for a deep and an abiding healing for Michael. The stuff that he's had going on with his stomach has been years. And Father, we pray for those who couldn't be with us today because they have health concerns, struggling with the migraine, struggling with issues, struggling with things that are distracting them or drawing them away from you. Father, we pray that you'd be so real and so present and so powerful that no one could deny that you are a God who answers prayers, who loves us, who's in us and with us and working on us. We pray that you'll do these things not because we are good, because we know that that would be a foolish argument. But Lord, we pray that we will be, you will do these things because you are good and because you love us. Please, Lord, we turn this time over to you that it would truly honor you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.
You can have a seat this time. All right, so we come to inspirational moment time, and we ask ourselves, how has the Lord been speaking this week? What did you see that drew your attention? I do want to remind you, in case you not really pay attention to that direction or look at that or whatever, that tomorrow is Memorial Day. I was reminded as I was in prayer about that, and the purpose of Memorial Day is to remember that we those veterans who have lost their lives in service to our country. That is the purpose. Uh, I did some reading and some studying, and I, I found out that... Um, uh, the concept of Memorial Day, as we understand it, was actually put into practice in 1971, which is only a year after I was born. But it's been my whole life that I've had that Monday um, to think about how people have literally given their life for our country. And I'm guessing that I didn't start really doing that at all until after I got saved. And I think that's pretty interesting. Um, that the church then stands as a pillar of truth, a reminder for those who sacrifice themselves for our country. How many people do you think are out there, and it's a sad testimony, who will tomorrow, they'll grill or they'll sleep in or whatever, but they will not remember the great sacrifice that has been made by so many in order that our country can stand. Uh, we, this, oh, uh, probably two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, we watched a movie about Dunkirk, which was a war movie, and it was, it was rated PG, and, and so Ariana watched parts of it with me, and we talked about how many people gave their lives in World War II, and then she said, well, what is the war that most people died in, most Americans died in, what was the Civil War, actually, because everybody who died on both sides of the war was an American, they just had different visions of what America was going to be like, and that was a tragic time. Many would-be Americans died in the Revolutionary War, but... But America didn't exist at that time. We hadn't been uh, constituted as a country. So I'm reminded of a, a, a professor of mine, his name Paul Kisling. He went over to Russia as a missionary, and it was right after the Iron Curtain fell. If you don't know what that is, there was a time at which Jesus was not allowed to be shared in Russia. Not only that, but no Bibles were allowed. Bibles were illegal. And so there were missionaries who were sneaking Bibles into Russia behind enemy lines, as it were, behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, Paul was there the week after that opened up, and the, the wall was torn down, and uh, this was in the 1980s, and people were allowed to bring Bibles and talk about Jesus for a period of time, anyway. And he went to a house church, and as he walked down the hallway in the house church, there were pictures on the wall of he said like over a hundred or whatever, the whole wall from floor to ceiling was covered with pictures, eight by ten pictures of people, men, almost about 99% or maybe all men. And he said, are those the founding members of this little house church? That's pretty incredible. And the person who was walking with said, oh no, he said, those are our martyrs. Whenever there is something that is worth something, there is someone who has died for it. And the kingdom of God has been seasoned over the years with the blood of martyrs, people who stood up for Jesus. And I will say to you that the many, many, many soldiers who have died for America over the years died for America believing they were serving God, serving their family, protecting a nation in which people could be free to worship or to speak out for what they believe in. And 
Um, we, we should not forget as a church. In fact, I believe that being a pillar of the truth is to be a reminder that we have seen many, much sacrifice by veterans of our country for our country. And then on top of that, many of them died. Um, and maybe more now than ever, uh, faith is much needed. And, and so uh, we're, we're very, very blessed that that price was paid. That'll be tomorrow. So don't just cook out. Don't just sleep in. Don't just hang out with your family on an extra day off or thank God that you don't have to go to work and put away groceries or do snow or do maintenance or whatever. Don't just do your chores and your projects. Menards, one of the busiest days ever, Memorial Day, right? Because everybody gets a chance. Don't just do your project. You want to do a project? Fine. They died in part so you can do that. But realize that tomorrow has great value and significance. Take a moment to thank God that there were those who cared enough to stand up that we are still here as the United States of America today, and also for the kingdom of God at the same time. So praise God for that. Okay, moving on from Memorial Day talk for a moment, and as we close out, we will pray um, that folks will honor that. But before we do that, how has the Lord been speaking to you this week? What have you seen? What have you heard? Where's Ariana? Ariana, did you have you had something you wanted to share, right? Yeah. Video? Can you pull that video up? You should have already been there. You just got to get to it. It's in the background or minimized. Okay. Rock. Press, press the play button. It's on the bottom left. Right.
Got something going on? Sorry, are you trying to pull something up? Yeah. Okay. While RJ's doing that, I'll talk to you briefly. I, I told you I'd be a Kate might share some more things out of the prayer and fasting retreat that I went to. I also already shared part of the story that the background for what I'm about to say, which is I, I went to my tent that night and I was praying um, and I felt like you know, my own fatigue was getting in my way of praying and studying the Word because I kept falling asleep. Uh, the funny thing is, when I would wake up and I would pray and I would study the Word some more, I did not feel guilty. <clears throat> and I, I thought about that because, like, in the past, there have been times where I was praying and I would fall asleep. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't fall asleep. And praying is so important, right? And, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was arrested, they came so far with him, and then Peter come a little further, Peter and John, I think, come a little further, and then he said, stay here and pray, and keep watch, and they fell asleep, and he came back, and he woke them up, and then he went back, and then he came back, and he woke them up again, and I always read that story, I'm like, oh, how could you do that? Jesus himself was with you and told you to pray and fall asleep, and I thought about that over time since I was in the current fast retreat, we're like, why didn't I feel guilty? And I, every time I woke up, I went right back to praying, and right back to studying the Word, and I did feel like I let myself get so tired that I couldn't do a good job and that I needed to fix that. Like I needed to not be so tired when I decide to pray and fast. You know, that needs to be maybe the higher priority needs to be God and the less priority be the things that make me so tired. But that being said, I didn't feel guilty. And afterwards I asked the Lord, I said, why? Why didn't I feel guilty about that? And he said, look, I don't care if you fall asleep while you're praying, just keep praying. So I thought about that. And I thought... You know, if you go to sleep praying and you wake up praying, who's to say you're not praying while you're sleeping? You know? Now obviously, you have to block out time to pray to do that, right? You have to be praying. And I do think, I did feel under conviction, as I said, that I need to make the time before I get so tired that, that I can't, that I can't say, wait, while I'm praying, I think that is important. But the point is, 2 Thessalonians 5.17 says, I think I got the right reference, pray without ceasing. If you pray right up until we go to sleep and start praying again right when we wake up, I think we're honoring that verse. And I would encourage you to try to do that. You lay down at night, you're so tired. Like, oh man, I'm aching or whatever. I gotta get to sleep. Take time and pray. You know? And maybe your spirit will find peace when your body doesn't. You know? Are you ready now? Alright? So before I do this, Zoe has found her favorite movie, and it's Moana. And so I've been watching a lot of Moana lately, because she absolutely loves this movie. And it's, it's a cute movie, but this particular scene keeps playing over in my head, and I'll explain after, but there's a reason for it. Oh, yeah, thanks, sir. Are you okay? Zoe? Hurry up. Keep your book.
told you to turn back. I thought we could make it. We? I thought I could make it. We can fix it. It was made by the gods. You can't fix it. Next time we'll be more careful. Dekal was stuck on the barrier island. It's lava. It can't go in the water. We can find a way around. I'm not going back. We still have to restore the heart. My hook is cracked. One more hit, and it's over. Molly, you have to restore the heart. Without my hook, I am nothing. That's not true. Without my hook, I am nothing. We are only here because you stole the heart in the first place. Now we're here because the ocean told you you're special and you believed it. I am Moana of Motului. You will born my boat. Goodbye, Moana. Sail across the sea. I'm not killing myself so you can prove you're something you're not. Restore the heart of Tefiti. The ocean chose me. It chose wrong. this scene that has stuck with me is, for one, how he says without this hook he's nothing. So everyone at some point finds something that defies them as a person. And we feel that without that we're nothing. So and obviously in this he feels that it's his magical fish hook that without it he's nothing. And as a Christian we need to realize that our something is God. Without God, we're nothing. We're broken people, we're, I mean, we're full of flaws, full of mistakes, full of bruises, but without God, we're nothing. But with God, we can have that confidence like Moana has to say, I know who I am. I know that God chose me to do something, and he chose me for a reason. Even though someone else might say that we're not that person and that we're not special in God, that is a lie. In God, we are special. We are something. We are meaningful. We are here for a reason. We have to find that reason, though. And then we can have that confidence that she had and say, no, I know who I am. I know what I'm here for. No matter how much the world tries to put you down, you have to realize that if you're with God, if God is your thing that defies you, then nothing can stop you. As you were speaking, two things struck me. First of all, I never really realized that was a fish hook. I've seen that movie probably eight or ten times. Never even thought about the fact that that was a fish hook. It's a hook. I'm like, oh, it's a hook. It's a fish hook. Duh. I'm like, why does he have a hook? Now I get it. It's a fish hook. Okay. Uh, <laughs> secondly, um, it's interesting, too, that you're talking about a fish hook that allows him to change shapes. And actually, that plays right in with what you're talking about because people are always changing roles. All the time we're changing roles. I'm a mom now, I'm a worker now, I'm an office person, I'm, you know, I'm a medic you know, taking care of a bruised kid's knee or whatever. Uh, you're always changing roles from place to place to place to place. But in Christ, we have one role. We are a child of God. We are saved. 
And we can do all of those things as a child of God. You don't have to stop being a child of God to be a mom, to be an office worker, to be whatever else. You're a child of God always. So he's saying that which allows him to change roles makes him powerful. And she's saying, no, what makes me powerful is I know who I am. See the, see the contrast? That's powerful. Yeah, knowing who you are, that's powerful. If you think you can only be one thing, which is maybe you know, your mom or a dad or whatever at one time, and you have to leave behind those other things, that actually sucks. It's hard. It feels like that you that was that other thing died in order to be what you have to be now. That's very painful. People have to do that all the time. Like People lose a job and they're like crushed because, oh, I worked there for eight years and I love that job or whatever, you know, or I hated that job but it paid my bills, whatever, and they're crushed because of the change. But when you know what's really important is who you are in Christ, the change doesn't affect you the same way. You're like, okay, now I'm not, I'm not going to be that anymore. Now I'm going to be this. And the seasons of God come and go, and you're able to change roles and still know who you are in Christ. So he was trusting in that which changed him from one thing to another. He could fly now, he could swim now, whatever. And she was saying, no, I know who I am. That's, that is actually a great message. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Okay, Brother Rob, would you pray for us as we transition and remember uh, Memorial Day and, and uh, the sacrifice of our veterans and brothers and sisters in Christ? God, Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for lessons that uh, you teach us throughout the week. Lord, times where we look to you for wisdom and you share it with us, you open it up in our hearts and our minds. Little glimpses of your glory that is yet to be fully revealed. Father, please be with all of us this weekend. Thank you for the, the men and women that served in our armed forces that, that have given everything so that we can enjoy this freedom. Lord, I pray for their families, their loved ones right now, that you would help them honor and remember them this weekend. That when we are celebrating tomorrow, when we're doing our various things that we have planned to do, that we would always remember that we have the freedom to do it on the backs of those people that gave their lives. And I pray that we'll always remember that you gave your life first so that we can enjoy freedom. pray, Lord, that everyone will come to repentance. I know I come to repentance on this day. And I thank you for being the God of a thousand chances. Bless this day. Bless the rest of our worship music. I pray it's pleasant to your ears. I pray for the sermon. I pray that it would be spoken with boldness and conviction. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
just real quick, for those of you that need to give electronically, I'll have the thing at the end of service. All right, children to the front. It's all me today, so let's do this together. I'm gonna walk you through these motions because it's been a long time since we've done this one. It's really simple. I'm gonna show you the motions, and then we're gonna do it twice. Okay, so we're doing great and mighty. So this is great. Muscles on this side, mighty on this side. Okay, so great and mighty is the Lord, with an L, Lord our God, Great and mighty is he. Do that again. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is he. Lift up your banner. Let the anthems ring. Praises to our king. So make a K like this. King. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is he. We're going to do the whole thing twice. Okay?
wanna, um, this song really speaks to the inspirational moments that we had today. And I changed the order last night before I sent it out to put this song in place of another one, kind of because Amalia wasn't here, but kind of because this song was stuck in my head all week. And so I think that was God saying, hey, this song, not that one. Um, and this song is a challenge for me, and I was not expecting a sore throat, so I am sorry if my voice cuts out. Um, I, a couple years ago, told Tim I wanted a challenging song. I was feeling proud of myself for singing some of the songs that I could sing, that I couldn't sing back in the day, and he gave me this song, and then it took me like six months to be able to sing this song. So, but in that, with the words and listening to the words of this song, you, asking the question, is God strong enough or pure enough or brave enough to pull you in, to give you a second chance to be the strength that you need? And the answer is yes. And the song speaks to that. Um, and I did put the words up there, so you'll have those to read and to sing along if you want. But this song really hit me hard in preparing this song. And then again, this past week, because I've been listening to it a lot. <laughs> Thank you. 
love it when there's a heart-wrenching song right before you get up to preach. You feel like going, let's just go straight to the invitation, shall we? Awesome. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'll tell you a story. This is uh, first person, first hand, me. I was there. I saw it. I lived it. I'm telling you the story that happened in my life, okay? So this is about uh, 15 and a half years ago. I know because Arden was about a year and a half old. And we got to take a wonderful trip, and we thought we were going to go to the Grand Canyon, um, but we discovered in driving to the Grand Canyon that it is a heck of a lot of a, a drive, and it's a lot further than we thought. And so we went to uh, Moab, Utah, which is on the northeast, has a big, uh, has a great, they call it Arches State Park, and um, just huge, huge canyons there, not unlike the Grand Canyon. Except for there, it's a lot of red dirt and rock, and in the Grand Canyon, it's a lot of uh, foliage. There's a lot of plants and stuff like growing in the Grand Canyon. So that is a little different because we did. Sherry and I got to go there later uh, as part of our wedding anniversary trip. But this trip, we took the kids and we camped in the tent. And as we camped in the tent, and got the red dirt everywhere, um, and it was kind of neat because everywhere that you would camp in a tent, they had little like shelters. You would have a roof over your tent. And I thought, that's kind of weird. You'd stay in a campground and have a shot. But then one night it rained. And man, when it rained, it rained. Like it came down like golf ball size raindrops. Not hail, but raindrops coming down just heavy, hitting that roof. And we could hear it roaring. But anyway, uh, so while we were there, we went on a hike. And we decided we would take a hike into the wilderness, into Arches State Park, and see this, what looked to be this beautiful set of stone arches that God had created. And we parked our car. Uh, early in the afternoon, and the hike was nine miles each way. Now, that's a long hike with a one-and-a-half-year-old, uh, but he was a rugged little kid, and we thought, you know, well, we'll get through it, and Aaron was was uh, two-and-a-half years old than him, whatever, uh, and I may not have the exact years right, but, um, and he, Aaron was a hiker extraordinaire. Like, he loved to hike. He had a hiking pole, and when we go to on a trip, he'd say, I'm taking my hiking pole, even if we weren't planning on hiking. He loved to hike. And he's still very physically capable of walking and hiking really long distances. And uh, so we we parked the uh, van, which I think was a re- rental van, I think we had. But then we parked the van, and we got out, and we had plenty of hours left in the day until it would get dark. And so we thought, no problem. It's not going to be a problem. And we started hiking down this trail, and it was awesome. And we took, like, hundreds of pictures. And I thought, man, I would like to have pictures of this trip here to show you today. Um, but as you can see, I don't exactly have pictures here to show you today. But anyway, as we're hiking and just having a great experience, we get get about uh, six, seven miles into the hike, and Arden starts to complain his feet are hurting, and it is kind of hot outside, and it's you know it's in the desert. But then there was some trees and foliage around us, and and shelter from rocks and stuff, and so we stopped, and we had a little snack, and then we hiked some more. We stopped, we had a little break, and we hiked some more, and. Uh, we walked through the river, get our feet nice and cooled off, uh, and and all this um, was going on. And we got to be at about seven and a half, eight miles, so we're about a mile away, or a little less than a mile away. It might have been just over eight miles from the arches. And Arden was, he said, I'm done. And I don't want to go any further. So my feet hurt so bad. And um, he said, I just need to rest. And I thought, well, that's a problem, son, because we're eight miles from the van. And uh, it's going to be a trek back. And I thought, so we better let him rest. So Sherry, Sherry said she would stay with him. And, and we got up on the biggest kind of promontory. And you could see a long ways. And it was really pretty beautiful. And she sat down with him. And they had another snagging and drinking and talking and stuff, trying to take his 
his mind off of it. And Alicia and Amalia and I walked on to the arches, and we took some video of the arches, and it's a cave, and you look up, and you see slivers of the sky, and it was beautiful, and the rock was all different colors, and very beautiful pictures. I will, someday I could show you the pictures, but, but anyway, um, we were in there for about a half hour, 45 minutes, so they got a good solid rest, and I took some video, and I sent live, live footage back to Sherry, because she wasn't going to get to see the arches. And it was pretty cool. And then we walked back to them, and we got back up on there. And I said, okay, we got to go. Let's go. We're going to head back to the van. And Arvin's like all chipper, and he's excited. And for about the first hundred yards, he was raring and ready to go. And then after that, he's like, will you carry me? It's too, it's too hard. I can't do this anymore. And so, and I said, well, I'll make you a deal. You walk a quarter mile, then I'll carry you a quarter mile. And so then he walked about a half mile, and then I honored my deal after that. I carried him for about a quarter mile. I didn't tell him he walked about a half mile at that time, um, but he was still going, so I was just going to let him go, and then I picked him up, and I carried him for a while, and then I put him down, and then he walked maybe a couple hundred yards, and he was ready to be carried again. I said, just up there around that bend, I kept pushing him, pushing him a little bit more, walk a little bit, walk a little bit, because I don't want to carry him. Eight miles is a really long way. Now it's late in the afternoon. We've still got a good six miles to get back to the van, and it's starting to kind of, you know, sun's low in the sky, and like we may not make it back before dark. And in our infinite wisdom, we did not bring flashlights. I mean, we started right after like one o'clock, so we figured it's no problem to make the walk, and we didn't bring flashlights. And we're thinking it is going to get dark, dark. We had seen it the night before, and there, there, like there were stars, but there was no moon or very little moon, and. It was very little light, and it was really pitch black dark. And we thought, we are in trouble out here away from anything like a street light or a flashlight. We are in trouble if we don't get back to the van. And so we're pushing real hard. And Alicia carried Arden some, and Amalia tried to carry him a little bit, but she he was heavy for her, and so she couldn't carry him very much, and I was carrying him. And so we get to be like we're like three miles, three, three four miles away from the van, and he's just done. He will not walk another step. Even in, in between, like he's complaining, and of course then Sherry was kind of getting worried about him because his feet were obviously sore, and it was a problem, and and, uh, and so uh, it was me carrying him three miles. Alicia was pretty well cooked by that time. It was me carrying him three to four miles, or we weren't going to make it back to the van. That was what was left. Now, this you have to understand, Arda, when he was that age, he weighed about... 55 pounds, which is, for a not-so-strong guy like me, a lot of weight. I carried him on my shoulders, I carried him on my back, I carried him in my front, I carried him on my side, I switched him side to side, and that's how we got through about the next mile. So we're between two and three miles away from the van now, and there's no mile markers. We really didn't know how far we were, but afterwards we figured out. And and I told and I'm like, I'm at the point where I don't think I could do it anymore. And I said, you know, why don't we sing praise songs? Because we're in a tough spot here. And I had already prayed, been praying for the last couple of miles. And I said, we're in a tough spot here. Why don't we sing praise songs? And Alicia and Amalia had both started singing worship, leading worship as young people, um, as part of the praise band at New Heights. Neither one of them were playing an instrument at that time, but they were both singing. And they said, okay, so... I started naming a praise song, which I probably couldn't have sung three words of it without their help because I am terrible, always been terrible, still am terrible to this day. I can, like, they, they can do a song we've only done two or three times. I can sing along, even close my eyes maybe part of the time and sing along. But it's, if I'm two lines into closing my eyes, I'll mess it up. So if I watch their models, I can sing right along with them, you know, but if I, if I have to remember the words, I'm in trouble. And so 
I would give them a song. We started, of course, with like Amazing Grace, and we did Jesus Loves Me, and just every song that I could think that I knew the words of, and then I was having them help me remember the words, and I'm carrying Arden. And I found that I was able to carry him long stretches, long distances, like half mile, mile at a time, if we were singing praise songs. And so we walked for about a mile, mile and a half, and I carried him, and we did that mile and a half in about, you know, it was probably about an hour. It wasn't fast. We were moving real slow. But um, then that we had done through all the praise songs that we done, and we went through them, like most of them three or four times, and, I'm, and we took a little break, and I'm carrying him again. We've got to be a mile, two miles from the van still. And, and I'm just beat. I'm just done. And I'm like, and we weren't singing anymore. And I'm like, something's wrong. And I said, we better sing. And Alicia and I didn't kind of didn't really want to sing more because they'd already sung for like an hour straight, you know, most of the time. And I said, we, we just got to sing. So we sang praise songs and I was able to carry him the last mile and a half or whatever back to the van. We got to the van, got in the van, started the van and the dome light came on. We opened the door and within just a few minutes, it got so dark that if it was not for the light of the van, we would not have been able to see. Now, you can say whatever you want to say about praise songs, give you strength, praise songs, don't give you strength. That's, that's your call, you, your opinion, whatever. But I can tell you this, this I know for a fact. Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this I know for a fact. Had they not sung those praise songs and led me in singing, had I not been singing praise songs, we would not have made it back to the van before it got dark. I know it for a fact. Absolute certainty. And that's a scary place to be in with your family, quarter mile, half mile into a wilderness hike. Like, did you don't know? We went down it on the way out, but with no lights. I, I, it wasn't like a trail that you could follow back. We were pushing branches out of the way, stepping over rocks, it, going back and forth over the stream. We wouldn't have made it. So God did that. Did he do it because we were praising him? Did he do it because we were praying to him? Did he do it because I had prayed, Lord, please get us back safely? Did he do it because he could feel my heart starting to tremble in fear whether we were going to be stuck in the wilderness? You know, not, and have to call the park rangers, you know, and say, hey, we're, we don't know, we think we're about a half mile from our van. We don't know where we are. Can you find us, you know, on GPS or something because we're lost in the wilderness? Is that going to be us? Um, did he do it to make that not the case? I don't know, but this much I know. If we had not prayed and sung praise songs, we would not have made it back to the van before dark. I want you to bear that in mind as we look at one of the shortest psalms today. We will use some other texts to support it uh, and and break it down a little bit, uh, but we're going to go to one of the shortest psalms in the psalms today. Maybe give me a hoot, a holler, and amen as we go to Psalm 134. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. That reminds us that from here on out, this is the word of the Lord. Obviously, I explain some things. My explanations are not necessarily inspired of God. I try to do the best I possibly can. But what we read here is for sure God's word, and we can be affected by it. So Psalm 134, it is only three verses. So as I break down and expose these three verses, they will go by very quickly. So kind of try to absorb as you go as quickly as you can so we get we get as much out of this as we can. And then, as I said, we will use some other references to help us understand these texts. There's a couple of phrases in here. If you just read it, you probably wouldn't get it. Okay? So here we go. Psalm 134, beginning in verse 1. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Okay? So first of all, behold, that's that's an easy one. Anytime you see behold, it's like, look, pay attention. Come on. <laughs> this is important. Uh, the same word in the New Testament, sometimes you see low. Lo, behold, look here. All of those phrases mean the same thing. 
Like, pay attention to this. Bless the Lord. And blessing the Lord is a, is a power-packed phrase, right? It's hard for us to think of us blessing God. What does God need? That, that Like, we're going to buy him something or give him something? That's not what it's saying, okay? So we'll break it down in a minute. Bless the Lord. The Lord here is the Creator God, Yahweh. If you're reading in a New American Standard Version, you'll notice that it's L-O-R-D, all capitals. And that means that it's the Yahweh Creator God. It's the Lord God who created everything. We're going to bless the Lord. We're going to give blessings to God, the Creator of everything. And it says, all servants of the Lord. And so that word there, servant, just means those who serve. right? I, I once read a book and it said this. It said that there are those who sometimes serve and then there are servants. And they are completely a different thing. A servant is a person who goes, I will serve in any way I can, anytime I can, anyone I can. That's what a servant is. Those who serve are people who see an opportunity or they have a skill or an ability and they go, okay, I can fit. I can make a difference. Or they feel prodded by God and they'll say, I can make a difference or whatever, and they'll step in and do it. But a servant is a person who says, I will serve in any way I can, how, uh, anyone I can, anytime I can. And so this, these are servants of the Lord. And I submit to you, if you are a servant of the Lord, creator, God, you are an aspect of the God of the God of heaven's ministry. If he's the one who made you, he's the one who's doing it. Then if you're a servant, then you ought to be willing to serve at any time, in any capacity, any way you can, anybody you can. Right. Remember, the creator God is a servant. Right. Jesus is a servant. He got down uh got up, rather, because they were probably lounging on the floor, got up, put a, strapped a towel on himself, and began to wash their feet. And when he got done, he said, now, if you know what I have done to you, right? Because if I would do this, then you need to do that. Jesus is a servant, right? And if we are a servant of the Lord, it says, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. We ought to be servants like that, ready to serve at any time, any opportunity, anyone we can. That is the idea. That is certainly who Jesus is. Sometimes Jesus gets abused because of that. He certainly did while he was alive. And we will too. You will. You're like, ah, man, every time I set out to serve, somebody of you, it always comes back to bite me, right? Or, the, or as I'm fond of saying, kind of jokingly, but also it's kind of, kind of sad, and that is that no good deed goes unpunished, right? If you go out of your way to try to help somebody, it's going to cost you. And they might even, they might even be the reason it costs you. So behold, pay attention, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord. And so that's an interesting phrase, right? So not, not during the worship service per se, but there's something more going on there. And we'll come back and break that down in the points as well so you'll get a better picture of what that is. So this is another kind of servant. It's a servant that serves by night in the house of the Lord. And that's kind of like, that's a little odd. Verse 2, lift up your hands to the sanctuary. And so here is that command, lift up your hands to the sanctuary. Uh, this is where uh, Islam gets its idea of praying and always praying toward the Temple Mount. And there are some devout Jews who do the same thing. They always pray toward wh whatever direction Jerusalem is. That's the direction I'm going to pray. I'm praying toward Jerusalem. But that's totally misunderstanding the context of this verse, if this verse were used to support that. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary is clearly talking about God. The sanctuary is represent representing God's presence. And technically, we become the sanctuary, right? But... Lift up your hands to the sanctuary means lift up your hands toward God's presence. And it literally means lift up your hands. All right? So if you're in worship and you're praising God and you find that you cannot lift up your hands, now if you're physically unable because of a health condition, that's one thing. 
Uh, maybe you can't lift your left arm, maybe you lift your right, whatever. You say, well, I'm physically unable lifting either one of my arms because I have a health condition. Otherwise, if you are not able to lift your hands in worship, there is a problem. Okay. Now, if you feel compelled by lifting your hands in worship by something other than God, that also would be a problem. Right. So don't take my word for it. Right. Don't listen to me or my idea of it. But there are words for praise that talk about lifting up your hands, and they're all over the Psalms, but they're really all over the Bible. And so if you see me lifting up my hands, you're like, why is Pastor Dan lifting up his hands? I, I will tell you, I am lifting up my hands out of obedience to the Lord. I don't care whether you think I should or not, because I'm doing what God wants me to do. Okay. Now, if, you're, if I see you not lifting up your hands, I'm going to assume that you are not lifting up your hands out of obedience to the Lord, which is moderately problematic because all over Scripture it says lift up your hands. Right? But I'm not going to judge you, and I would encourage you not to do the same when you look at me. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary literally means lift up your hands to the presence of God. Lift up your hands. doesn't mean do a little work. Right? People think my hands are down on my side. I see that needs to be picked up. I'm going to lift up my hands. No, that's not what that means. It means lift up your hands. Okay? They would, they would never in the temple have worship where they would not lift up their hands. Ever. If you were a Jew, it would be unheard of for you to worship God without at some point in time lifting up your hands. Because it is commanded in the scripture all over the place. The fact that Christians do it on a semi-regular basis, before we're done, you have to make a decision whether or not that is going to be acceptable for the rest of your life. Some people go, I'm never going to lift up my hands in worship. Well, I'm going to take that up with the Lord. At some point in time, that's probably not going to be the case. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary. He says, and bless the Lord. There it is again. And bless the Lord. Do something for God. Do something that God, quote unquote, needs you to do or would be blessed by. Do something that he would be blessed by. Verse 3. May the Lord... Bless you from Zion. Zion is was always a reference in place of his presence, kind of Jerusalem on earth, but then really heaven. We're talking about heaven. May the Lord bless you from heaven. He who made heaven and earth. If you're going to get a blessing, there's a good place to get one because he made heaven and earth. If When your body is broken, there's somebody who knows exactly what's wrong with it and exactly how to fix it. And it's the Lord. A doctor may know, may not know. But the Lord knows exactly what's wrong and he knows exactly how to fix it. The problem sometimes why we don't get there is because, number one, we don't trust him. Think about the guy at the pool in Bethesda. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And I, and I want to say this to you as just as a little bit of an aside for a minute. You would be careful about what you ask the Lord to do. To whom much is given, of him much is expected. So we're, you're working, right? Remember right now, you work seven days a week, you work for the Lord. You do ministry on Sunday, you do ministry on Saturday, Monday through Friday, you do your job, whatever your job is, whatever task out you do that as if you're working for the Lord. And then you're sick, you've got some kind of an illness, or you've got a financial condition, you've got a, a, an emotional struggle or something like that, and you say, God, please help me with X in Jesus' name. Now, if God does that, then what are you going to do that's more? Well, how are you going to respond if God does what you ask him to do? Because of him, to whom much is given, of him much is expected. So if you ask God to heal you now physically and you're already serving him seven days a week, what are you going to do? Okay, well, part of that is going to be described here in the points. All right, so we've been through Psalm 134, 1 through 3. I'm going to read it again now. I can do that because it's only three verses. It'd be awesome. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. 
All right, so there's three things in here. They're, they're, they're going to seem simple at first, but actually they're quite challenging if you kind of begin to process it. The first thing is, we bless God. That's, that's hard for me to swallow because he's God, right? Uh, I think about when Noah, or sorry, when Moses was in the wilderness and God said, I'm just going to wipe out the Israelites and start over again. And Moses said, oh, no, please. And he got in the way and he got down on his knees and on his face and he begged the Lord, no, please don't do that for your witness, because the Egyptians will say that he was so mad at his people, he had to call them out in the wilderness and destroy them. For God's sake, he begged God not to destroy them. Because he didn't want them to be destroyed. He loved them, just like God loved them. Maybe not as powerfully, because God is love, but he loved them in the same way that God, he did not want to see that happen. We bless God. There is something about what we are, what we do, that we are called to bless God. Okay? So go first with me. There's going to be some flipping here. I hope you brought your Bibles and you're willing to play this game because some of these verses are, are a little bit more obscure. Even I, I'm going to read to you a verse right now that you may never have read, read ever in your life. Okay. So the first one is First Chronicles 9, so chapter 9. So it's to the left, First Chronicles, back into Chronicles. I always remember Chronicles is, be, is, uh, is after Kings because the Chronicles is kind of like the history of the Kings. It's the story of how the Kings came about. So it's easy to remember. Samuel's got to be before Kings because Samuel anointed the Kings and then you got the Kings and then you got the Chronicles of the Kings. So that's how I remember the order. All right. So first Chronicles chapter nine, verse 33. And it says this, it's talking about the servants in the temple and how they'd be set up and like that. And it says this. Now these are the singers, heads of fathers, Households of the Levites who lived in the chambers of the temple free from other service for they were engaged in their work day and night. Okay. And so it's talking about, remember our verse says this, behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Okay. So we're going to learn a little bit about the kind of people he's talking about. Bless the Lord, do it. What are they going to do? They're going to praise God day and night. Praise God. And it's interesting, and I'll come back to this later, that they are excused from other service. So substantial is their service and so continuous is their service that they are excused from other things that they might need to do or that, that Levites or uh, Kohathites or whatever might need to do in temple service. They are excused from that because they praise the Lord day and night. So these are singers. These are praisers. So how do you bless the Lord? Well, you bless him with praise, first of all, and you do it day and night. But it's interesting that they were ordained to do that. They were chosen by God and then put in place by Moses, essentially, uh, and, and Joshua to honor God with their praise, to bless God by their praises. And they were to do that day and night. Now, this song that we're reading here, the psalms, most of them are psalms or songs or prayers, right? This song is what's called a song of ascent. So this is a song that the Israelites would sing as they're going up to Jerusalem. So the people come in and they say, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Basically, they're saying, Come on, you singers, sing! And God is commanding the servants of the Lord who can sing, sing. You know, like, well, but uh, I, don't, I can't. I'm not good at singing, right? I don't see anything about skill in there. Obviously, there would be those who were distinguished, maybe, recognized as, quote-unquote, 
melodic or better singers than somebody else. But the bottom line is, if God called you to be a servant of the Lord, sing, sing, praise the Lord in church. Heck yeah. In the hallway. Yes. In your car. Yes. With the weed eater or the hammer or the drill or the saw or whatever in your hand. Yes. Praise the Lord and do it day and night because that will bless the Lord. You want to give God praise because number one, God deserves praise. God has ordained for himself praise from all creation. Only humans among creation, unless you count demons and evil spirits, but among the creation of the earth, only humans ever have decided not to praise the Lord. Suspicious, isn't it? It's suspicious because of this. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned against God because they wanted to be like God. They knew that God alone was worthy of praise and they wanted to be like God because He is worthy. Not the trees, not the plants. You could say the fruit, right? She looked at the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she saw that it was, it looked good to eat and also was beneficial for wisdom. By the way, what's that called? It's called praise. When you see something is good for this and good for that and you say it, it's called praise. When you think it in your head, that's a version of praise. It's preparation for praise. When you think it in your head and it becomes praise, when you say it, you say, that looks good. It looks good to taste good. It looks good for wisdom. She praised an object of creation. She took the praise that could belong only to God and she praised an object of creation. And then she took the object of creation and ate it because she wanted the praise herself because she wanted to be like God. Every time you are choosing not to praise God, whatever you are going through, don't kid yourself. You are despising the God of heaven. You are making him small and not worthy of praise. Because you're in a difficult spot, because you don't like the way things went down, because you're in the midst of complaining or cursing somebody else or whatever. What does James say? He says, with our mouths we bless God and then turn around and curse mankind who was made in God's image. While you are cursing somebody and saying, slanderous words or gossip to them, by the way, and it's it's gossip if if you are repeating something to somebody else that they didn't see. Now, does not between husband and wife, right? If you're sitting with your husband, you got to tell him what you saw. If you're sitting with your wife, you got to tell her what you saw. That's not gossip. But you move outside the marital covenant and you start telling somebody what they didn't see, it's gossip. Our mouths are made to testify about the God of heaven. All right? So now you got gossip and you got slander. And both those things are curses by comparison to what we are supposed to be doing, which is praising God. Your mouth was made for praising God. Only humans of all creation have decided not to praise God. And we as believers, having now been reconciled to God, we should be reversing that. We should be praising God all day long, every day. Because the breath you just took was a gift from the God of heaven. And if you're not willing to praise him for it, you stole that gift. Because he deserves our praise. We bless God when we praise him as servants of the Lord day and night. That means all the time. And night has an interesting connotation because day is praising him in the sunshine, praising him in the gentle breeze, praising him when the check comes in, praising him when you're feeling strong. Praising Him when you're receiving some comment from somebody that makes you feel better about yourself. 
Praising him when somebody recognizes you for being a good person or because you worked hard. Praising him then, that's praising him in the day. Praising him in the night is praising him when it's hard. Praising him when somebody says something you don't like, when things go the wrong way, when it's raining, when you wish you could be out in the sun, when your health is failing you, when you wish you could do some work. Praising him in the day and night means you praise him all the time. Your waking day, you praise him. If you are a servant of the Lord, you are called by this psalm, and I could give you probably 20 other places if we wanted to take the time, but you're called to praise him day in and day out. Praise him. Or maybe, just maybe, you're not a servant of the Lord. Or maybe, just maybe, you are a servant of the Lord and you need to be admonished by the Lord and hear the psalmist say, praise him, servant. Bless him. Bless him, singer. Bless him. Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5, sums this up beautifully, helping us to see that the psalmist really did mean and really understand this concept. Psalm 100. So we're back almost smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5, they say it this way. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. How do you come to God? You want to draw near to the Lord? How do you do that? Sing praises. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. In the midst of the difficulty when you're facing something and you don't like what you're going through, don't you dare think for an instant to turn off the faucet of praise. What? So you're going to go through some difficulty, something that's bad, some hurt that you're going to go through, and in that moment you're going to say, God is not worthy of praise. I am going through some stuff. I'm going to be, I'm going to be belligerent. Or I'm going to be upset. Or I'm going to get worked up. Or I'm going to break something. Or I'm going to go do something. Or whatever. You're going to get in that moment of time, you're going to do something that you're going to make it better because the God of heaven ceased to be worthy of praise because in that moment things are not going the way you wanted them to go. You are not God. You are not God in your house. You are not God in your family. You are not the God of the Bible. You didn't create it. You barely get to use it for a short time compared to the extent that the creation exists. You are a blink of an eye compared to God. You are not allowed to despise the God of heaven. Certainly not as a servant of the Lord. Not as a saved individual. If that is who you are and what you do when things don't go the way, that you need to repent. You need to turn to the Lord and say, in that moment, praise the Lord. When I was not even a Christian yet, there was a young man, his name was Dave, who worked at my Pizza Hut. And my Pizza Hut was as foul mouthed as the day is long. And when I got saved, it became a problem because I was trying to give up that. You know, I hadn't become a preacher or anything, but I was trying to give it up. And everybody around me was like that. And so I knew what he was like. He'd gone away to Bible college in Texas by the time I got saved. But he was working on a Friday night. It was like seven o'clock. And it, tickets were streaming off on the floor and pizzas were taking an hour and a half to get to people's houses. We were selling five, ten thousand dollars worth of pizza in one day. It was absolutely nuts. And everybody was like, F this and F that and every cuss word all over the place. I dropped it and they're cussing up a storm and it ain't this. All these cuss words are flying all over the place. And he's working, he was the best cook I ever had working lead on the make table. He pulled that ticket and he, he made the pizza, set it. We had pizza stacked like in a pyramid shape, like 10, 15 high on the end because they couldn't go in the oven because the oven was backed up, it was totally full. And in the middle of that, somebody said 
spewed a cuss word and he said, praise the Lord. And I'm not a Christian and I'm going like, that was weird. And a minute later, somebody said a cuss word and he said, hallelujah. I didn't even know what that meant back then. It was I didn't know that hallelujah meant praise the Lord. I didn't even know what that meant. A little bit later, he said, somebody cussed or something. He said, praise the Lord. And I'm thinking, so now I'm thinking he's thanking God for people cussing. That's what I figured out. Like, that'll make a lot of sense. So after the rush started to die down, I had about 10, 15 times. And, and I said, why, why are you screaming praises to God in the middle of the rush? I said, could you please not do that? I'm on the phone. And, so, and mind you, they're cussing up a storm, right? And I probably was too, because I wasn't saying that's kind of who I was back then. And I didn't have any problem with them cussing up a storm. It's like, I didn't want the customer on the phone to hear that. But other than that, I didn't have any problem. And, and they're rushing around and cussing and stuff. And, and I didn't correct them unless they got where a customer was. But he'd yell, praise the Lord, right? Real nice and loud on the phone. You could hear that, right? And I said, you got to really don't, if you're going to do that, I don't know what that's all about, but you really got to tone it down. And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to tone it down if you want me to. So people on the phone, but I'm going to yell, praise the Lord and say, hallelujah. Every time somebody else cusses, as long as we're in the middle of it, because in the middle of it, the Lord deserves the praise. And what they're doing is the reason people are cussing, the reason people are using cuss words is because their soul in the middle of it is not capable of praising God. And they can't get out the words they should get out, which is praise the Lord, hallelujah. They can't get that out. So they're spewing cuss words because they don't know what to say. Just listen to anybody who's talking. Anybody use a lot of cuss words? When do the cuss words come in? They come in when they don't know what else to put in there, right? So I, I'm, I, it's a big cuss word blue truck because there's, there's some word for that. I don't know what is a big truck. And you got to know it's a really big truck. And I can't think of a word right now for really big. So it's a really big cuss word blue truck or a cuss word blue Really big truck or something because they don't know how to say gargantuan or huge or they just want you to think it was so big. So they got to throw a cuss word in there. So that's what we do. We throw cuss words when we can't get the words out and we're created to praise God in the middle of trials. And so he said, so in the middle of trials, we're gonna, I'm going to say praise the Lord every time they cuss because they're praising their God and I'm praising mine. Do you understand? Bless God. Praise him day long. Night long. Every time something goes wrong. Every time something goes right. Every time nothing goes. Bless him. Secondly, in the text, you see it says, we lift up holy hands. We lift up holy hands. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Chronicles. Also chapter 29. Second Chronicles in 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29, I'll begin in verse 10, and this is what it says. <clears throat> now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his burning anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to minister to him, and to... Be his ministers and burn incense. Then the Levites arose. I'm going to mess this up. A bunch of names. Let's do that. Let's do, the, do that. Down to and from the sons of Elazaphan, Shimri, and Jael, from the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, Madaniah, and from the sons of the man Jehiel and Shemiel, from the sons of Jehudathim, and so on. And 15 it says, and they assembled their brothers. They consecrated themselves. And they went in to cleanse the house of the Lord according to the commandment of the king by the word of the Lord. 
these folks, these are the, these are the Levites of their day. They're the folks called to relate to God. And so what did they do? They consecrated themselves. They consecrated the temple. How do you consecrate something? Let's talk about that for just one second. You consecrate it maybe with holy water. How do you make holy water? Say it again. Amen. It's prayer. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about asking God to bless the altar, asking God to bless his priests, asking God to bless the holy water, right? We ask God to make holy that which is not holy. That's how something becomes holy. You ask God to make something holy that's not holy. Ain't nothing holy without God. That's the reality. And you ask God to make it holy. Pray over your children. Pray over your life. Pray over your relationships. Pray over your house. Pray over your finances. But here's what we do. We wait until it's in the tank, when it's going away, when it's falling down, when it's burned up and ashes. And then we say, God, will you resurrect it? We lift up holy hands to God's presence means we pray to God for God to do what needs to be done before it's too late. Stop praying for resurrections and start praying for life. Stop praying to fix whatever's broken and start praying to be a good steward of what you've been blessed with so that when the time comes, if it's broken, you already know that it wasn't meant to be. Because you can use everything for what it's supposed to be used for. We lift up holy hands. Turn to the New Testament in case you're disagreeing with me in any way. First Timothy. Go to First Timothy. So we're going all the way down there on the right to the T's. Which sometimes are tricky to find because they're not very long. But if you find anything like a Thessalonian or a Timothy, you're in the right area. First Timothy. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says this, he says, First of all, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Who do we pray for? We pray for everybody. You get busy praying for everybody, and you're going to have less time to do other things. Unless you're going to do things while you're praying, which in that case you're going to have to memorize who everybody is, and the prayer list, and so on. Verse 3 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know a lost person who wants nothing to do with God? You should be praying for them every day, and if at all possible, every day, every time you think about it. If the sun goes up and you start praying, and the sun goes down and you pray, and you pray five or six or seven times in between, and I'm not saying repeat the exact same rote phrases or think you're going to get it just because you're repeating. You're praying. That's your heart. It becomes your concern. I want to see this person come to the Lord. It may actually happen. There's so many stories. Right? So many stories about how people come to Christ who everybody thought would never come because somebody was praying for them. Anybody ever heard of a man named Elvis Presley? Had the opportunity to meet his brother who lived with him in the mansion for the last years of his life. Now, that young man dated a girl who was a church-going young lady. And she said, well, I'll see you for lunch. 
after church on Sunday. She would, he wasn't going to church. He wasn't professing Christian. She would not date him unless he came to church. And then they could do lunch after church on Sunday with her mom or whatever. There had to be somebody else there. She wasn't going to date him. So he went a couple times to church. And eventually their relationship separated, whatever. Elvis Presley died. He never seen her again. I guess, I think she went off and got married to somebody else or whatever. 20 years later, he said. I was 18 to 20 years later. He went to that little church that he had gone to. And he walked into the church and he sat down. And he said, several people from the church recognized him and went up and said hi. And he's like, I don't understand. How can you recognize me? He was not any kind of a celebrity at that time. He had worked in the background on the business side, been employed by Elvis's production company like that, but never in the front lines. So he didn't understand how they recognized him, and they just said, okay. And then it would come time for the invitation. He walked forward and got saved. Now, we went to evangelism celebration about 10 years ago. He was there preaching, and I got to meet him. He's telling this story. And he said when he got saved, there was a revival. The Holy Spirit broke out in the church, and everybody got super excited. And, he, and he's like, well, that's awesome. Everybody got excited that I got saved. And one woman come walking forward and he recognized her. And it was that girl's mom. And she had continued to attend that church for 20 years. And she walked up to him and pointed out on their prayer list in that church his name. They had been praying for him for 20 years or however long it was. 15 to 20 years. And that day, he came. Not somewhere else. Not by a televangelist. Not by some guy at 1-800-ASK-ME-QUESTIONS-ABOUT-THE-LORD. Right? And not by some guy handing him a tract. But he walked forward in their church at their invitation and got saved. Because they were praying for him for 15 to 20 years by name. He said he was the worst drug addict. He'd been in drug sales. He'd been in prison for a time. He'd done everything under the sun except even consider, even think twice about Jesus. But he got saved. They were praying for him. Pray, because God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony, born at the proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, listen, wait for it, here it comes. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath, that means opposition, and dissension, that means breaking apart. I want all men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands to God without wrath and dissension. Paul wrote to Timothy, that we should pray and lifting up holy hands. And by doing so, I submit to you, bless the Lord. Back to Psalms for one second. This will go by quickly. Psalms 28. Psalm. Psalms 28. There we go. Psalm 28. Psalms 28. I guess it's both. <clears throat> 28. And we're just going to look briefly at verse 2. Psalm 28. Verse 2. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to thee for help. 
when I lift up my hands toward thy holy sanctuary. What's it talking about? Lifting up your hands toward the holy sanctuary. It's talking about prayer. And I submit to you that we should be praying everywhere, all the time. By the way, just try this. I don't know if it'll work. I haven't tried it. Go to a restaurant, you just invite your head for every food, right? Why don't you try this? Father God, please bless this food. I thank you for it. I know you created everything, sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father God, bless me. If there's anybody in the sound of my voice who needs to know more about Jesus, tell them I'm here and I'm willing. Otherwise, Lord, if there's somebody in the sound of my voice who's somehow offended by my praying, Lord, comfort them, soften their heart. In Jesus' name. Try that. Yeah, I'll try it. Why not? Let's try it. What do you think might happen? I don't know. We pray out loud as a family every time we go out. But what happens if you do it with hands up raised? It's like, Lord, bless this food. Lord, bless this food. I didn't even have to try. My voice came out of my body. Louder, bolder. We got people in this room that are twice as bold as me about what they prefer to eat. With a loudboard, and um, I, I, the whole time I was waiting outside, and I could hear him, but he sounded like from, he was like the Broadway, but we ended up finding him, and he had a Bible, and he was standing out with a loudspeaker, but I couldn't understand what he was saying. Like, yeah. It, it was, it's one of the problems with loudspeakers, is they don't, well, they don't, the, the, the enunciation's hard, and his accent. Yeah, yep. accent. <laughs> but, but he was standing there with a the Bible. Yep. So, we got, we blessed the Lord in praises. We got, we bless the Lord in prayers. And then lastly, and I think this one, everybody go, oh yeah, that just makes sense. We need God's blessing. We need it. Not want it. You probably want it too, right? But you need it. And the truth is, if you knew, again, as I said before, the full ramifications of receiving God's blessings, you might not be quite as quick to draw down on it. If God's Holy Spirit fills you up to the point that you're preaching and teaching the gospel, everywhere you go, you're going to encounter persecution. Someone, sometime or other, is going to strike you. Or your vehicle, or your house, or your family. I already know that to be true, because that's already happened to me. And I'm just a a pastor of a little church in Toledo. right? I've already had a contract taken out on my life in the street, among the street gangs. I'm nobody. But if you will start asking the Lord to work through you and speak through you and in every case, and if you will pray like that, your waitress might come over and say, sir, I'd like you to pray for me about this. Or the manager might come over and say, you know, when you visit our restaurant, we'd like you to not lift your hands and pray out loud. At which point in time you can say, it's okay. I, if, you, if that's what you would like, I don't have to come back. But I'm practicing my freedom of religion as an American and my freedom of speech as an American. See, that's the thing. We know men have died for our freedom of religion, but we're too cowardly to practice it. We know men have died for our freedom of speech, but we're too cowardly to practice what they died for because we won't speak up about Jesus. We won't speak out in prayer and lift our hands in public and actually step up and talk about what's really important. The people that died and went to heaven, they're ashamed of how little we talk about Jesus. We need God's blessing. We are not worthy of God's blessing. We are not going to get His blessing because we somehow become worthy of God's blessing. 
you could take my advice and begin to pray from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And you could begin to praise God from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And none of that will make you worthy of his blessing. God's blessings are delivered by his grace. They're delivered because he loves us. They're delivered because he has storehouses, look it up, in heaven, filled with blessings that he's waiting to pour out on people who will just believe and receive by his grace. And those blessings are still in the storehouses because cowards like us will not live. You say, no, I'm not a coward. You don't, you chafe against the word. When's the last time you asked somebody to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior other than Sunday school, VBS, or in church? This is where we get amped up and filled up by God so we can go out there and live for God. If you walk out of here and you say, I work for God, I serve God, I'm trying to lead my family in the right direction, whatever, but I'm not witnessing, oh well, there's no oh well. God has called us to speak on his behalf to the ministry of reconciliation, given us the great commission. There's no oh well. Bless him. Bless him with your prayers. Bless him with your praises. Listen to the psalmist and live according to what we know makes sense. And that is that God literally has everything at his disposal. He created it all. If God needed to create an entire another universe and an entire another human race and a billion more planets to bless you, he could do it like that. If God needed to create a $40 billion stimulus package for you specifically, nothing to God. It's nothing. And yet, instead of praying to God and raising our hands, praising God, Lifting up holy hands, that means hands dedicated to his work. Hands with him at the center. Hands with him as the most important. Instead of lifting up holy hands to God in prayer and praise, we're mild-mannered versions of the supermen and women that God has created us to be. We need God's blessing. That brings us to the conclusion. The prayers, the praises, the need for God's blessing, they have this in common. Day and night. Good and bad. The day after you win the lottery, which probably most of you won't and I won't because we don't play the lottery, but the day after you a ticket blows up on your foot and you pick it up and turn it in for a million dollars, you will need God's help the day after more than you needed the day before. The day after you're diagnosed with cancer. The day of. The day your child tells you that they don't want to listen to you anymore. Or that they're going to live a way that you don't approve of. Or the day that you say something stupid to your significant other that you never should have said and probably can never take back. The day the semi goes left to center. And in those seconds, you're just about to head on. In every one of those moments, you should be praising God, you should be praying to God, and you need His blessing. 
We bless the Lord with our praises. We bless the Lord with our prayer. We do it with our uplifted, holy hands, day and night, whatever we're going through. And we need His blessing. As RJ said and beautifully put, we cannot do anything. We literally are nothing without God. God is pouring into you and you are using it for what? Are you using it to praise Him day and night? Are you using it to pray to Him day and night? Are you using it to lift up holy hands? Are you using it to be blessed in the moment, not receiving truly the blessing that God has in store, but just feeling like you're okay right now because you got this good thing that solves that problem that you foresaw? Day and night. That's what all of this has in common. Notice it's interesting. And this one will kind of like trip your fancy if you think about it. Those who were the singers in the temple, they were freed from other service so that they could be singing, praising God day and night. So hang on. If you will commit yourself, if you could commit yourself to praise God from the moment you awake to the moment you go to sleep and every time you wake up in the middle of the night not sleeping very well, if you would commit yourself to praise God from that, then God doesn't need you or want you even to do anything else. You don't have to clock in. You don't have to pay a bill. You wouldn't even have to witness. In fact, if you were singing praises to God every time you went into the restaurant and while you were sitting at the table and you and your family are softly singing praises, then when you lift your hands like this to pray over your meal, no one's going to think that's odd. Like, yeah, I saw that coming. There might not be anybody sitting within two tables of you, but it's all going to be okay because you're praising God. But we're not. Our cells are because they're amazing. Our DNA is because no one can fathom it. It's an incredible written language that controls the creation of everything. Every carbon-based life form has DNA at its cellular level. And it's amazing language of God. And no one can quite fathom it. They can manipulate it a little bit, but they can't really understand it because it's the language of God. Our DNA is praising God. Our cells are praising Your hair is praising God. But your mouth is strangely silent. And if we weren't, we could be freed from other service. We are to be doing this without ceasing, good or bad. That's what Second Thessalonians says. Pray without ceasing. And I submit to you that it is also praise without ceasing. Two references and then we're through. The first one's in John chapter 4. And you, you might like, oh, John 4, that sounds familiar. It is familiar to many of us anyway. John 4 It's the story of the woman at the well. Does that sound familiar? Maybe not. It's okay. We're going to read it. John 4, beginning in verse 21. Now, I'm not reading the full story because we don't need the full story to tie in with what we're talking about. But I'm going to read to you what Jesus said to the woman after she's talking about the contrast between where the Samaritans believe you should worship God and the Jews believe you should worship God. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, 
he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Has the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, come into your life and affected your heart? If so, this is what he would say to you, that the God of heaven is seeking worshipers in spirit and in truth. If you think you're getting away with something, the very best you are, could possibly doing be doing is interfering with your worship of God. Your secret thing, the best it could do is interfere with your worship, but the worst it does is summon evil spirits, summon demons into your life, destroy your witness, have ramifications, and God will to your face challenge you. Revelation 19. Last reference of the day. And it's a goodie. All the way to the right. Last book of the Bible. Revelation 19. Beginning in verse 1. 19.1 After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, wait for it, Hallelujah! Which means praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. If salvation and glory and power belong to our God, then praise the Lord, basically, right? Because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservant on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, which means so let it be. Hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Give praise to our God. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Praise Him. Because when we get there, we will praise Him. Praise Him. Because we need the blessings that He delivers. And we can bless Him. And if you've ever been blessed by Him, bless Him. Praise Him. Pray to Him. In the good times and in the bad. Day and night. Non-stop. Praise Him. Get holy hands. How do you get that? Ask God for it and then follow what he tells you to do. Get holy hands, and then lift up your holy hands to the Lord. This idea of prayer, you know where this comes from? It comes from feudal England. 1,500 plus years after Jesus died on the cross, this was invented. You know why? Because what would happen was the king was going to be commissioning a knight or a feudal lord or something. And he would come and he would get down on his knees in front of the king and he would put his hands up like this. Here's my hands. And the king would reach down and he would put his hand on the knight's or the Lord's hands. And he would commission him. And so from there we began to do this in front of our Lord, in front of our God. That from prayer we would get up and be commissioned by our God to do what it is. This is not even biblical. This is not lifting your hands. I'm not saying you can't do it. It it's, makes a statement about I'm commi commissioned by God to do what I'm asked to do. Which, by the way, is not whatever you think it is. It is praising Him and praying to Him and needing a blessing from Him all day long. That's what we're commissioned to. 
Then the Great Commission says, go and teach them all the things that I taught you. Go and make disciples of them, which means plug them into God. So they will have lifted holy hands that they too can lift and honor to our God. Where did it go? This is the truth of the Bible. And we've had access to it since Jesus was born. Jesus had access to it. It's been around that song for going on 3,000 years. Where did it go that we should courageously lift holy hands in prayer and praise all day long, every day, and honor the Lord as maybe the most important thing we'll ever do because we need His blessings, we can bless Him. Where did it go? Well, I'll tell you where it went. It was lost. Lost in memory. Lost in history. Even though it was in the covers of our Bible, it was lost to us. I told you when I began my sermon, and I'm concluding with this illustration, you remember I said I would like to come up here and show you some pictures from that hiking trip. That hiking trip. So right now I'm going to do that. Here they are. They're on this portable hard drive amongst 20,000 other pictures that I have taken in the last 20 years. For me to find them, I would have to go searching for them. I would have to go looking for them. Now, the beauty of it is I labeled some of them. I know I did after that trip. So I could find them faster than I could find something else that I didn't label that's just got a date. The psalm is labeled. The psalm is in our Bibles. It's right here. It was with us all the while. If you want to know what God wants you to do daily, He wants you to praise Him. He wants you to pray to Him. And in that prayer, He will ex- expose certain things to you. He'll say, well, now I want you to do this. Now I want you to do that. I want you to put this away. Get this out of your life and get this into your life. And so on. He'll teach you through prayer. We become His disciple. He teaches us and then we teach others what He teaches us. Where is the church? Where is the church that goes out and tells people that what God deserves And now you can see demands all day long, every day, is our prayer and our praises. Where is the church that goes out and tells people, look, the suffering that you're going through, what you really need is a blessing from God. Well, I need 50 bucks so I can fill my gas tank. Okay, I'll give you the 50 bucks. But we don't bother telling them about the blessing they really need from God? No. It's time that we were the church. That we praise Him and pray to Him all day long, every day, and realize we need His grace We are no better than anyone else. We need His grace again today. And then we go out and let them see us praising Him. And we go out and let them see us praying to Him. And go out and let them see that we know we need a blessing from God. Just because we go to church, that doesn't mean we don't need a blessing from God. And we also know they need a blessing from God. They're struggling. Not knowing the language of their own soul. They use the cuss words instead of the hallelujahs. Because they don't know what their soul was created for. And our job is to go out and show them. But somehow we lost that in our memories. And today God brought it back to us. If you're here today and you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, I'd like you to commit as best you can, as best the Lord will help you, as best He's strong in you, to praise Him and to pray to Him every day. All day. When it's good and when it's bad. When you're tired and when you're not. Because He deserves it. And because you were created able to bless Him. And that will bless Him. That's something that will bless Him. So let's do that. If you're here today and you're 
not a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I just don't know. I don't think I, I have this kind of relationship with God, but you're willing to in Jesus Christ. And just right now, just say, okay, God, take the rest of my life and make of it what you will in Jesus Christ. And be saved. And get holy hands and start lifting them up to the Lord. If you're a follower of Lord Jesus Christ and He's been speaking to you while you've been here today about something completely different that has nothing to do with what I've been talking about, but you know it's been God working in your heart, then submit to Him, whatever that is. If it's that make this your church home or be baptized or start a ministry or serve in a certain capacity, whatever it might be, submit yourself to the Lord. For He's God. He made all this. He's in charge of all of this. And for you to think otherwise is just foolishness. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. It's also our closing hymn of our service. When we sing together, we're going to praise God together as a group. You go out there later today and you'll praise God everywhere you go if you take that very seriously. But right now is your opportunity we praise together as a group. And then at the same time, we're committing ourselves to whatever it is God's calling us to. So if you have a response and you need to make that response public, you say, okay, I think God wants me to do X, and you do that now. Whether you're getting saved, or being baptized, or joining church, or ministry, or some sin, God's convicted you of some sin that you need to let go. You publicly let that go. We all need a blessing from the Lord. Would you stand with me then? Let's sing this song together. This is closing out our service today. But let the Lord work in your heart. Do what it is that He's calling you to. Whatever that is. last one together. This is our closing prayer.